Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco, and my partner, Streeter, Street Fighter, Hari himself. Uh, yeah, Hari. <laughs> Becco's, Becco's investments have clearly been paying off. He's got a fancy jacket. and I know. Check it out, guys. <laughs> nice watch. So things are, things are working out well for him. <laughs> you know what that means? You got to listen to the Value Investor TV podcast if you want to get to my level, guys. Yeah. Okay? And, and don't listen to me because I just got a Street Fighter t-shirt. <laughs> the real risk people, you know, they don't have to flaunt their money. That's the that's the issue here. So Hari, he's a real man. He's the man of the hour. Well, we're talking about GameStop. What, what better t-shirt than when we're talking about GameStop is Street Fighter. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So... Before we, that's Ahari spilled the beans already. So we're going to talk about GameStop guys today. Um, but before we do that, I think we should do a quick disclaimer like we always do. Ahari, you want to take that one? Yeah. Um, so this uh, podcast is, uh, uh, is designed to help you uh, educate you and uh, inform you on how value investing works. Um, it is not specific financial advice and we are not a financial uh, advisor. We encourage you to... Uh, uh, discuss this with your financial advisor before making any investment decision. Perfect. All right, let's get started. All right. Also, um, before we start, you know, this is a, another one of those conventional episodes where we discuss, we pick a company and we talk about, you know, we, t- we go through the checklist basically to analyze the company at hand. And uh, as we mentioned earlier this week, we're going to talk about GameStop. But the way that we analyze companies is pretty methodical. So we want to make sure that we're checking all the boxes and going through the checklist. And by checklist, I mean, um, you know, we have a checklist that Hari and I put together with other inputs from our community. And so if you don't have the checklist, please uh, email us at info at value investor TV, or sorry, info at value investor dot org. Again, info at value investor dot org or tweet us, tweet to us at value investor TV. That's our Twitter handle, Value Investor TV. So make sure you reach out to us. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Hari, actually, you know, this is, I guess, maybe it, it, it'd be a good thing to mention up here. You know, this is a, you know, this is a, um, a company that came to our radar a long time ago, but we really got a request from one of our listeners to cover this, yeah. this company. So, um, you know, I think it's good to mention that community engagement, community engagement, you guys reaching out to us on companies that we should cover. Uh, it helps us and also engages uh, more directly with you guys. So we encourage all of you to send in your list of companies that you, would lo- you want us to analyze so you can, we can uh, you know, build this community of investors uh, here at valueinvestor.tv. So uh, let's, uh, let's get started, Hari. So the first question is in the checklist, can you explain to us what GameStop does? Can I? Uh, Can you? Yeah. Uh, so, GameStop is a uh, uh, is a retail chain that sells um, new and used video games, video game accessories, uh, collectibles, um, and they do that in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and Europe uh, through five thousand uh, or so stores um, and online through the uh, the GameStop. Um, uh, name as well as through think geek and um eb games and uh micromania so those are the the brands that they operate under gamestop uh eb games micromania 
uh, and then ThinkGeek um, stores as well as uh, on e-commerce. So, mm-hmm. so GameStop has been you know around for you know last twenty years or so, and has been kind of a uh, you know retail uh, retailer that's focused purely on this the video game video game culture, um, and then recently they uh, bought. Um, they got into the cell phone game and started selling through Sprint or Spring Mobile um, uh, stores, which they finally got rid of uh, last year. Uh, so they sold that off. So now they're back to focused on video game and the video game culture, you know, geek kind of culture uh, mm-hmm. uh, through retail stores. So brick and mortar as well as uh, e-commerce. Um, uh, and I forgot to mention they in Europe, they also use a, the under the brand Zing Pop. Um, so mm-hmm. if you're out in um uh, international markets, you may see Zingpop, uh, ThinkGeek locally. Um, and, you know, that, so how they, they kind of, they differentiate themselves from, say, selling games at Walmart, Target, um, Amazon, etc., is that um, they sell new video games, they sell um, new video game hardware and software, um, but they also sell pre-owned video games and hard, uh, hardware and software. So you're going to be able to buy a game from GameStop and then sell it back to them at a pre-owned price, um, you know. And uh, the actually, you know, as we'll talk about that, the pre-owned market is actually, you know, sells much cheaper on a, a gross uh, basis, but it's a much higher uh, margin for them. So they're mm-hmm. selling uh, pre-owned games usually between fifteen and twenty dollars, whereas new games are, you know, closer to forty. Um, they also sell video game accessories, and they're. Uh, recently have been uh, st- starting to sell more digital assets that you can buy uh, in the retail store and then uh, redeem in-game on Sony and uh, so PS4, uh, Xbox, and Switch. Um, so that includes you know money that you can use towards buying uh, digital currency or digital assets. Um, and then they also sell collectibles. So um, you know the Funko Pops and you know that kind of stuff is where. Uh, they have a lot of, you know, that uh, as well as statues and things like that. So they sell a little bit of that in their flagship GameStop stores, um, as well as their ThinkGeek stores, where they carry a lot more of that kind of, uh, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I could kind of just high level summarize the product categorization, at least this is how they reported in their filings. You have the new video game hardware, you have new video game software, and then you have the used market, pre-owned slash value video game products that's the third category and then the fourth category is video game accessories fifth digital uh, sixth collectibles and then lastly every other things um, every other product that they sell they bra- they you know categorize it under other products so again like Harry mentioned it's a pretty broad scope you know starting with the new products all the way to collectibles and, and pre-owned so I think it's a it's a I think it's a company that's kind of uniquely positioned in the gaming market that covers the entire spectrum would you say yeah um you know that the interesting part about that is that you know because they cover new as well as pre-owned um pre-owned also includes older consoles that may not necessarily be making newer games so um you know you can still get nintendo ds games you can still get um you know but they don't they don't carry the older you know the oldest so you won't be able to get nintendo original Nintendo or Super Nintendo games there. Um, so, you know, for for some of their market, you know, they may be the only retail store uh, in your area to carry video games, a brick-and-mortar mm-hmm. store. Um, 
you know, so that, uh, you know, there is some benefit there that they have over competitors where they're able to stock a larger inventory of games at the store and they have pre-owned. And, you know, recently they've actually been trying to, they've been carrying a lot more of these uh, video game accessories, which is one of the only parts of the business that's growing. Um, Mm. And these are premium accessories like uh, uh, headsets for playing online with, uh, you know, with friends like on Fortnite um, and in Apex Legends. Um, You know, a couple other areas that they they are in as well is that they have a loyalty program. Um, Mm. The loyalty program gives you, um, you know, gives you rewards and you can pay between $9 and I think $30 for uh, different... um, you know different uh, aspects of the uh, the rewards program, and what it does is it gives you more discounts on the pre-owned accessories and higher trade-in values when you uh, you use that. So, about mm-hmm. five million of their uh, rewards members are paying customers, so they're getting you know um, you know it's it's a it's a high margin part of their business. Um, they also sell a magazine. It's the largest magazine subscription in the country. Uh, which is mm. a s- strange distinction, but um, you know you're buying that with your GameStop uh, Power Up uh, membership, so um, you just kind of get it automatically, and it's either digital mm. or physical copy. Um, mm. And you know, so there they are. What is interesting about this whole market is that you know there's a transition into the digital space where you're you know people are buying game assets online instead of buying the games in a physical store um and gamestop has had some ability to capture that market but it doesn't seem to be a big part of their business still yeah i think that's really interesting i think gamestop is kind of interesting in that you know you are this whole retail industry i guess not just gaming the entire retail industry is kind of really going through this transition and you know, every 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 other retailer out there is trying to get more online tractions uh, and things like that. And um, certainly, I think you know GameStop is in that transition period. Yep. But I think what you mentioned earlier about um, you know this is really uniquely kind of positioned company because it sells uh, used as well as old, you know, used as well as new, and it covers the whole swath of gaming and this kind of kind of nerd geeky kind of game culture that they promote. And so kind of, you know, and I'm, when, I, when, I'm think, when I'm thinking about this, you know, I, I think about how can they compete in a very competitive market landscape of retail? So I think that's a good kind of transition to our next question is, which is, does the business have a competitive advantage? You know, as a value investor, we need to be looking out for competitive advantage as we know it. You know, we call it the moat. So um, could you answer that question for us? Does the company, does the business have a competitive advantage? Yeah, so you know the the problem with being a retailer is that um, unless you're some sort of low cost supplier um, in retail, it's pretty hard to have a moat, right? Brands uh, sometimes help, um, and you know, uh, like in the case of Costco, where they sell a lot of their uh, store brand, uh, which is Kirkland, uh, easier to keep maintain a moat there because they they control the the cost of the goods um, that they sell in the store. Um, when you look at a company like GameStop, you know, Sony, Microsoft, uh, and the top 10 vendors account or top 10 vendors account for 78% of their sales. So, um, uh, mm. they're heavily dependent on, um, games that come out, 
on a uh, on a consistent basis and new game hardware. So when new hardware comes out, people tend to buy a lot more uh, stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, related to the hardware, they need accessories, they need new video games. People are tend to be more excited about it, and they're heavily dependent on the sales cycle around uh, new games that are coming out. So, um, you know, they mentioned in this uh, recent uh, conference call that you know the uh, single uh, game Call of Duty had a big impact on their um, their year over year earnings. So, uh, in 2017, when Call of, Call of Duty came out, it had a big um, surge in, in sales, uh, and mm-hmm. then the the following year there wasn't a, an equivalent uh, title uh, to help them you know cover that. So even though there's you know lots of different vendors out there. Uh, all making games, what we're seeing is a lot of people who are buying games are buying, first off, they're buying games like Fortnite where um, the business model is no longer paying up front for $50 for a game. You're buying in-game assets and you're downloading the game for free. So mm-hmm. you're not, you know, it's a different model that we're going into where there's this, uh, and, and what you're also seeing is a lot of those games are actually being purchased um, through digital distribution, um, so Steam uh, on the PC uh, or the Sony Microsoft Store, um, you know, concept. So the, GameStop doesn't do a lot of PC sales, but um, you know, when we're talking about this now um, for the Nintendo Switch, you know, they saw a big uptick in 2017 when the Nintendo Switch came out, um, but you know, they're not seeing the benefits of the software because a lot of people are still buying the software on. On online, so mm-hmm. you know, looking through our different competitive advantages, you know, I just don't see anything here really. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they have a rewards program that kind of helps you stick to to buying stuff. I will say that it's a, actually a very compelling value to use that. You know, I'm a member. Uh, I have a GameStop Rewards uh, membership, um, and you know, I buy basically all of my games in the physical store. Now I'm a dinosaur when it comes to that kind of stuff. I don't buy stuff because I like having a physical cartridge because then what I do is when I'm done with the game, I go and sell it back to GameStop and then buy the new stuff with that credit. So um, a lot of people don't do that, right? They're buying stuff online because it's more convenient. They don't have to get out of their house. Um, and that's just where the, the industry is kind of shifting towards. That doesn't mean that... Um, you know, that it's necessarily disappearing, that GameStop's business is disappearing. I mean, they're still, I mean, their their growth is, is you know, they're slowly shrinking revenue um, and they're, they're closing stores as they're seeing, you know, the, the profit per store kind of decline. Um, but I think really the biggest, you know, aspect of this is that their, um, their revenue, you know, it, 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 it's just the landscape of gaming is changing, right? We, more... You know, in 2012, 2013, digital distribution and bandwidth was not available to really do it. 2019, 2020, you know, whenever the next Sony and Xbox uh, come out, I think you're going to see a lot more people using digital, um, you know, stores to buy their stuff. And that kind of leaves GameStop out of the mix. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think yeah, as, as, for retail, for any sort of retail, online presence is becoming a bigger, bigger element of their business. And for non-content owners, I think this is the case for a lot of these other uh, other retailers as, as well. It's just a, kind of a third-party retailers. Um, you know, Skechers we talked about, Great Great Canada or 
Canada Goose we talked about. You know, those those content owners, they're you know, another way to look at them is they're content owners of their own own, own products. They're con- the content owners themselves are opening up their own retail uh, offerings yep. via the the web or their own you know retail brick and mortar stores and and the reason for that is because you know they can they can deliver highly controlled customer experience but also on on the back end it's a higher margin business right and so I, I see a lot of a lot of retail space a lot of content owners so that may be the game gaming industry or the the clothing industry or the shoe apparel industry generally speaking the content owners are creeping into the retail space because it's a higher margin better user experience etc cetera, etc cetera. and i see the exact same thing happening here with the gaming the gaming industry yeah i i think um you know a good example of this is if, um, and this is a post that you can go and read online. Um, there's a video game called Shovel Knight that came out about maybe three, four, five years ago um, by a company that um, was an independent uh, game maker. Um, and they distributed their game digitally as well as um, in brick and mortar stores. And, um, you know, the the thing that they realized when they were doing this is how much less money they were actually making on the game. So there's a blog post out there and I would encourage you to read it, you know, just from a, you know, from a business kind of standpoint, their digital sales were giving them, you know, $15 per game or something like that. Um, after the, the net, you know, fees that they had to pay the, um, the store manager or the store, um, like Mm -hmm. steam, um, but they were making like $5 for a game that was sold at GameStop because of packaging. GameStop has a you know markup, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, there was a lot of infrastructure that was involved just to get their games to the store. And now mm-hmm. companies can eliminate all of that and sell it through a digital store where, you know, there's no packaging, there's no fees, there's no shipping, there's no, uh, you know, you know, all the returns are dealt with, you know, digitally. So, you know, this concept of, you know, I like I just don't see GameStop being able to stop this tide. And I, I think they would be the first one to admit it in their conference calls. They're saying, uh, you know, new games aren't coming out. Um, so largely what they're going to be able to make money off of going forward is new hardware sales, which unfortunately, you know, console manufacturers are coming out with those less and less frequently. Um, you know, so whenever the new next console cycle comes out, uh, you know, the Nintendo Switch kind of came out in between, um, you know, two years ago, and they saw a big uptick in hardware sales. Uh, but I don't think that's going to last, you know, you know, um, you know, software was kind of where they would make all their money. Um, and right now, I think that's going away. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it almost seems like maybe this is kind of a divergence, but I want to bring this bring this uh to the discussion which is you know we talk about we talk about when we talk about ulta beauty you know ulta beauty is another another one of these retail stores that collects all kinds of you know beauty products into their own store and, and they're basically a retail operation yep and take that and then that's one side and the other side is what i just talked about before where the content owners are pushing into the retail space right ulta has some sort of you know protective moat because of the fact that they are carrying whole bunch of uh, you know whole bunch of uh, cosmetics 
beauty, you know, boutique beauty product or mass produced product. They carry it on their on their retail um, brick and mortar stores, but also they provide all kinds of services within the store. So it attracts customers to the store. I wonder if you look at it from that light, how GameStop kind of stacks up to the competitive edge that Ulta has. Because at GameStop, they also do have a variety of games, but they also, uh, like, like Ulta Beauty, they provide um, you know, users to come in and play the games there. And you know, it, it's more than just transactional retail. Yeah, there is some aspect of you know, a community that they, they can produce where they have... Um, but for the most part, they're you know you can try out the games there, you can play them on their um, their their demo stations, you know things like that. But I've also seen that at Best Buy, I've seen that at Target. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've seen it at Walmart, but you you know there are, that is not a unique experience to GameStop. Um, I think one of the things that GameStop is going to struggle with is, um, you know, Ulta is able to sell physical cosmetics. Um, you can't digitize that, right? I, I can't digitize lip gloss, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, software is something you can. And, you know, for the first 40 years of gaming existence, 50 years of video game existence, you had to buy those in the store. I just don't see mm. that being something that can continue, right? And, yeah. um, you know, you're still going to need to buy the console, um, but that's a purchase that you make every seven or eight years and you know you pick up a few accessories here and there um gamestop will have a much smaller you know footprint i think you know in terms of you mm-hmm. know they have five thousand stores now um so you know it's a tough it this is a business that uh i i would struggle with you know kind of looking at as a you know how long is the is the end you know and how you know with the money that they have built up can they transition to something new? Um, mm-hmm. And that there's a lot of risk associated with transitioning, right? Uh, to, to a different business model. Cause right now they've, yeah. they've established a br- brick and mortar retail store. Um, and, you know, they actually alluded to this on their conference call that they're setting up an esports complex in their headquarters in Grapevine, Texas. And what they're doing in, in, or in Frisco, Texas, um, where it's going to be a training ground for, and uh, for esports. Uh, mm. And they're going to use their retail stores to kind of initiate some sort of like um, you can go there to get help, you know, get better at a certain game like Fortnite. You want to learn how to play it better. Um, that's interesting. I just don't know how that's going to work out. You know, maybe it yeah, does. That, maybe it doesn't. Um, you know, so mm. anyway. Yeah, that's kind of the future you know the thing with thing with companies i think you know this goes back to one of the very first episodes that we did one of the reasons why we like to invest in companies is because companies are dynamic this dynamicism of companies they can adapt to different things whereas other asset classes other assets that you might purchase they don't have that dynamicism so this is you know if they are able to execute strategies that uh, allow them to adapt to the new age of of you know digital distribution that's dynamicism um, in action right there. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's continue down the list. Um, so we talked about competitive advantage, uh, the risk of the current competitive edge. I think we, all of those we kind of touched on. So if we could go to the next question, which is the long-term prospects. And we talked about this also, long-term prospects and runway for growth. Do you have any other additional comments to, to make on this one? Yeah, so you know, at this point in our checklist, we have made 
the distinction that this is not a business that we would look at as a traditional, you know, what we have talked about as a great business at a fair price. You know, this checklist is kind of designed to look at value investments as ongoing business concerns. Um, and in the case of that, you know, you want a great business trading at a fair price. Um, this is kind of a different setup, right? We are now talking about a mature business that's, you know, probably not going to have a long-term runway for growth. So now, really what we're going to be looking at, I, I would say going forward is, you know, I would stop here on the checklist and kind of move towards a, you know, a more, um, um, you know, financial focus on the business in terms of, you know, what what does the balance sheet look like? Uh, what are the current operating, uh, you know, purview, the, uh, you know, you know, wh- what are, what does their operations look like and how long will they be able to survive, you know, given their setup, right? I mean, this is a business that doesn't have long-term prospects that I would be comfortable with. And so you kind of reach a dichotomy of what do you do with a business like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the stores are still profitable. 99% of their stores are profitable, but they're profit is per store is shrinking. So what do you do in that situation? And I would say, you know, in, in my opinion, um, I'm less interested now in, in, you know, what is management's money position, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. And I want to see, do they have assets on the balance sheet that they can return to shareholders because they shouldn't be reinvesting that money in the business. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so this is kind of where, you know, obviously the, the, you know, the business is being beat up on Wall Street because they're saying, oh, they're going to they're going to go bankrupt at some point. Um, so which I don't disagree with that they'll eventually have to stop operations. Every business does. So what do you do with whatever money you have now? Right. And that's the mm-hmm. question that we need to kind of a- answer. Yeah, I think that's a good transition um, to the next episode. Um because you know, like Hari talked about, I think this is a this is a really interesting company that's kind of in decline. So at this point, like Hari mentioned, we need to be looking at the way we assess companies. Really, totally shifts at this point. We're looking at the balance sheet. We're looking at assets that we could possibly obtain, and this 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 might be an angle through which you look at how Wall Street might have missed something in the balance sheet. Uh, for example, you know, there, this might be the case where there is a hidden asset in the balance sheet that Wall Street totally missed, and we could take advantage of this negligence. Um, so, anything else? I think uh, I think this is a good stopping point uh, for our next episode. Don't you think, Art? Yeah, I think we can, you know, stop here, and then on the next episode, we'll kind of talk about more about valuation um, and how do you value a business like this. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks.